0: Is the next trip podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other avgeeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. day and welcome to Boarding Pass 187, operating on June 26, 2023. This is Doug, an airline pilot, and I'm here with my buddy Drew, an airline ops manager. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Drew, was this an IHOP after work kind of week for you? When I typed this, I don't think you had been yet until last night.
1: <laughs> Day before yesterday, I sent you a picture. I re well, I resent your picture of Denver with all the the flights scattering everywhere because the weather that, was so bad.
0: Yeah, that wasn't mine. I was not awake at two thirty in the morning. I found it on one of our forums.
1: <laughs> uh, all right, so Doug sends me this horrible Denver operation two days ago where the flight scrambling everywhere because of the weather. Tens and tens of diversions. So I took that picture and I put Denver operations this evening. And then I had a second picture of us at the bar at Jimmy's early, like at eleven o'clock, IAD ops, <laughs> we're like toasting each other. It's <laughs> karma. It's karma. <laughs> you put it and out, and it is karma. Just, as you said, because we got slapped yesterday, not with weather, but with multiple maintenance issues, which I'm not going to belabor. I'm not going to burden, <laughs> I'm not going to burden the listeners with. I have burdened Doug with it as it was happening. No, it was not a Jimmy's night because Jimmy's last call is 1.30 in the morning which you would think we would be able to make, right? Because we're off at 1030. No, it was an IHOP night. So I'm sending you pictures at 3 a.m. because a waffle (laughs) is all that's available. You cannot get a drink (laughs) after 130 in Northern Virginia. Yeah, it was an IHOP night, which means that it was a mess. And, you know, the schedule is stretched very thin on wide bodies because we're operating all these new flights. Tokyo uh, took eight hours to leave. Believe it or not, the customer reaction was calm. I was asking customer service, are they okay? Do we need to do anything? No, they were calm. And, you know, they're mostly, I would say they're at least half Japanese. (laughs) And uh, not to use a stereotype, but they are very calm, practical. Very
0: respectful.
1: It's like the, you know, when these flights are delayed, we've noticed, I'm not, and I hate to make stereotypes, but, but Zurich and Tokyo, when they go on maintenance, People just go to the club. They just are very uh, pragmatic and they know that we're working on it. But the other thing is our agents are explaining what's going on. And my department is explaining to the agents so that they can understand that we are doing everything possible. Doug, on this flight, we had everything imaginable. We had maintenance. We had a plane swap. The new plane had a circuit breaker issue right before it took off. That took the pilots over their legality time. It's not the pilot's fault. And we listened to them on the radio trying to resolve it with our headquarters maintenance. Couldn't do it. Came back to the gate. Have to change the cruise. But long story short, this was our solution. And this is what a big airline can do for you, which a small airline cannot, especially at a hub. That Tokyo crew, they did not go to Tokyo. They went. ended up going to Rome because they're mm-hmm. not able to go to Haneda, which is a long flight, but they can go to Rome, which is 7.5 hours.
0: That is why I always, always, always pack. For anything it does, <laughs> yeah. if, if it's winter if it's winter here and I think I'm going to Hawaii uh-huh. I pack both winter clothes and flip-flops and a swimsuit if mm-hmm. it's summer here and I think that I'm going to Hawaii mm-hmm. and it's winter in, in Australia or quote-unquote winter where it's cooler mm-hmm. I have a jacket I have my jeans always <laughs> always always mm-hmm. as a crew you have to pack for anything because I've yeah. been there before in my air force days we diverted to new hampshire coming Uh back from the middle east and my co-pilot only had flip-flops oh no so there (laughs) there we are at 11 at no 11 o'clock at night Uh the only thing that's open is the bars nothing no no place to buy buy clothes Uh she is walking to the bar from the hotel through snow (laughs) in (laughs) flip-flops it's like come on you're 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 air crew you're a pilot you know that you don't you don't always end up where you think that you're going.
1: Right. They're, so they're like, you're not from these parts, are you? <laughs> the Haneda crew went to Rome, and the Rome crew is now going to Japan. <laughs> and, of course, you know, now there's a sacrifice because there's some Japanese speakers on the Haneda flight. Now those Japanese speakers are trying to talk to the Italians. They'll make it work, <laughs> right? There's Google, you know, Google Voice or Google Google Translate. They both leave, and there were other issues, and I'm sending you, Lisbon is off, London is off, Haneda is off. And I I told you, with Haneda being as long of a delay as it was, I was going to tell NOC if we don't make the legality time on this takeoff, which we just made, by the way, on the second one, because the Rome crew doesn't have forever for their legality. So it took off with about 25 minutes to spare. I texted Doug, and I'm like, Doug, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling NOC, if this doesn't work out, I want them to not come back. Fly to SFO and figure it out there. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: that's an SFO. That's a triple seven base. And you know, at least, yeah. well, and the the people are making progress towards Asia. We don't have a lot of flights to Asia, and at SFO, there's way more options to get to Tokyo and beyond. Yeah. yeah. Long story short, it was an IHOP night, uh, and the night before when we were celebrating, we actually invited Andy, Andy, who's been on the show. He does some voice uh, tapings for us. <laughs> So he comes in and the so it's Ryan and Patrick. These are huge avgeeks. Ryan can run circles around both of us in terms of avgeek, meaningless uh information, useless avgeek information. He will run circles around us. So he comes in. So we have our avgeek vetting for Andy and the avgeek vetting is what are the engine types on the 747? And that stumped him. The look on his eyes was like did I really want to be here? <laughs> but anyway, so we're like, all right, just tell us the makers. And he, it was Rolls Royce, Pratt & Whitney, and GE. So we let him stay. You have to get the specific types. You let him stay. That's nice. Very, very kind. Doug has been away from civil aviation for so long now that you sent me a picture in Denver of two planes. And it's like, whoa, look, two wide bodies. One of them is a 757. <laughs> Can you explain and why were you in Denver?
0: Well, yeah, I actually, I made it out of Denver. Let me, let me back up. I was trying to get home from Dallas. Well, actually, let me back up from that. (laughs) I said, I would mention the the new Sky Club in LA. It was awesome. It, It was, it was great. The outdoor deck is fantastic. The spotting from there is awesome. It's on the North side. So you get a lot of the Asian, carrier mm. some of the inter- the European ones. were going to the south side, so I missed so you're those. You're on the
1: you're on the In and Out Burger side, so those are the In and Out Burger side.
0: Two fours, yeah, two, two fours, fours up on the north mm. side. Awesome views, really nice club. Uh, got to Dallas, did what I needed to. Trying to get home. The only w- well, first of all, I was going to try and get out to Newark to take the Transcon from Newark to San Francisco, and mm-hmm. hopefully get business. It was going to be really difficult to get to Newark, and then it was going to be difficult to get from San Francisco back to Sacramento. Would you have gotten business class at least? I I was number one on the list. It was full, but I was number one. So if someone had no-showed, then I would have. I, I definitely would
1: have. With the well, I, I,
0: I was Yeah. Mm. I was looking at premium. I definitely would have gotten premium economy. Okay. So I was still on the fence about doing it. But then mm-hmm. when I realized that I, I couldn't get back from San Francisco, I was like, you know what? Let me forget it. I'll just start making my way back home. Mm-hmm. Could only get as far as Denver. Had to get a hotel in Denver. So I got non-rev godded, or non-rev god, I guess, was not totally on my side. <laughs> it worked out, though, because I was able to fly with my mom. She was coming out here for this weekend. Right. We were able to go to the club, mm-hmm. flew on the same flight together. We made it out of Denver about 12 hours before that photo oh right you. that i
1: sent <laughs> yeah denver, and my
0: dad my dad was 12 hours delayed or not 12 four hours delayed out of denver he was flying to la for work and he mm. sent that awesome video of all the oh, lightning right. and everything there yeah it, denver was crazy anyways yes i sent you a picture <laughs> from the club of a triple i <laughs> let me back up you you were talking about wide bodies something I don't, I don't even remember how it started oh yeah you were talking about maintenance issues you said we need some wide bodies. Yeah. And all I said was there are two of them here. I didn't say there were two of them in right in front of me. I sent you a picture. Yes, no. there was a 7-5. No. Yes, there is a triple. But uh, there, is okay. a tale, uh-huh. there is a tail of a triple behind. Okay.
1: No, no, no. So I, was saying, I, was saying we, I was saying
0: we have two triple, we have two wide bodies here in okay, Denver no. that you could use.
1: Okay, yeah, nice. Okay, nice rewriting of history. No, so Doug sends me a picture of two planes. He says, two wide bodies. The second wide body is a tiny little, the tail of a triple <laughs> seven.
0: And, and that is not wrong. I'm, I'm going back to look. I said there are two wide bodies here, meaning in Denver. I'm going, I'm, I need proof. I need proof okay. of this. All right.
1: Yeah, then, okay, then why were you like, 757 was known as a heavy. And I, was, I said, yeah, you would have been right in like 1999, where the FAA changed it from a heavy to not heavy.
0: I said in all fairness, seven fifty sevens used to be classified as heavy because you were you were talking about it.
1: Doug has been on uh, a treadmill the last two days going to uh, what is it, tie dye t shirt uh contests or whatever. Swim social
0: night, we tie dye t shirts swim meet tomorrow, home swim meet, which is a lot more work, lot yeah, lots going on. Yeah, we're so we are able to find in. we have a squeeze the, in this the girls thing between
1: kitty manicures, I think
0: are at their mani-pedis right now. So I texted Drew and said, let's do it now instead of 5 a.m. on Sunday morning. (laughs) Anyways, the listeners don't need to know that. I digress. Drew, this week is the biennial Paris Air Show, arguably the most famous of gatherings in the aviation industry, at least regarding commercial aviation. Oshkosh would beg to differ with that statement. The show is held every other year, but it didn't happen in 2021 due to the pandemic, which makes this year's highly anticipated show even more exciting. We'd love to tell you that we're there live on location in Paris or not. Maybe someday, maybe two years from now, we can try and plan on being there. But for now, Drew, before we get to news items coming out of the show, let's take a look at the history of this famous event.
1: Doug, as soon as you have more than two days of vacation time, we'll have uh, we'll have the ability to go see. this. Stuff. <laughs> Until then, I got to visit you in like Altus and uh, Wichita and wherever else in the middle of the country we were. the paris air show is actually is the largest air show and aerospace industry exhibition event in the world both by size of exhibit and number of exhibitors the 53rd show which was held in 2019 had nearly 2500 exhibitors spread out over more than 125,000 square meters until 2021 the show had been held every two years since 1909 doug The year of the first show, except for a break during World War II, the inaugural show attracted nearly 100,000 visitors. That's a lot.
0: The Paris Air Show has been the host of many famous airplanes and people throughout the years, and it's where many airplanes see their international debut, like the 747, the Concorde, 777, A380, and the 787 all made their big, splashy international debuts in Paris. It's also hosted many other well-known aircraft and spacecrafts, such as the Apollo 8 Command Module in 1969, the Space Shuttle Enterprise atop its 747 in 1983, and then in 1989, the Soviet Union was there with the Antonov 225 and their version of the Space Shuttle
1: on top. Mm -hmm. It was also, unfortunately, the location of the worst airshow disaster, uh, one of the worst airshow disasters, in 1973 when a TU-144, that is the Concorde that is the Russian version of the Concorde, stalled during its performance and crashed into a neighborhood, taking the lives of six flight crew as well as eight others on the ground.
0: The size, scope, and pageantry of the Paris Air Show, as well as the media coverage surrounding the show, make it a prime event for splashy announcements like large aircraft orders and launches of new planes. Historically, several announcements that begin as rumors become finalized at the show. We're going to talk about some of the news. We see that with aircraft orders, that airlines were rumored to make a big announcement or a, a big order mm-hmm. and it happens at the Paris Paris Air Show because that's where the media is the the media all all focus all attention is is focused on the Paris Air Show we're we're always talking about the news and we're always mm-hmm. looking at aviation news media the general public uh, unless it's some meltdown for some airline or or some new airport opening the mm-hmm. general public doesn't get Uh, a lot of aviation news except for the week of the paris air show that's when when journalists who don't normally cover aviation when news outlets that don't talk about aviation a lot they're there in force and this this is like the super bowl if you can call it that the super bowl or the world cup or Mm -hmm. the olympics
1: of the aviation industry or like the grammy awards because all the celebrities of the aviation world are there Correct. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you said a splashy event. That's exactly what it is for for uh, aviation.
0: What was that meme that I sent you? Do you remember? I think I sent it to the group. It's <laughs> it said it's that dude. He looks like he's on a college campus with a cup of coffee, and there's mm-hmm. a poster in, in oh, front yeah. of him. And and like I, you see that all the time. It's like it says something, and then change my mind. Mm-hmm. And you can put whatever you want on there. <laughs> but this meme was something along the lines of the Paris Air Show is for aviation manufacturers like the state fair is for hot tub salesmen. <laughs> it is. Changed it my mind. Is. <laughs> right, exactly. Let's continue talking about Paris while we're on the topic, Drew. Let's get to the news coming out of the air show. Airbus made quite a splash on the first day.
1: They really did. And I think it's been maybe two years since we mentioned um, the move of uh, the center of gravity of aviation from the Middle East eastward to India and China, and we are seeing it happening. It's only two years, and we are are seeing it happening in front of our eyes. So we are headed back to India with our first story, Air India's 470 aircraft order earlier this year broke records for being the largest order in history. Well, that record only stood for a short time, Doug. Airbus and Indigo launched the show on Monday with an order for 500 aircraft, all the A320 Neo family. As a sign of the massive order log for Airbus, the aircraft are scheduled for delivery between 2030 and 2035. Uh, With Monday's order, India, which is now the largest country in the world and the fastest growing aviation market, has the second largest percentage of outstanding orders behind the U.S. Indigo controls 60% of the Indian market and still has 480 airplanes yet to be delivered from previous orders. It's just mind boggling. It's like their aviation or um, commercial aviation industry is growing like our country did in the 60s, where it was just exploding.
0: Just reading this, I don't know how many aircraft Indigo has right now. I, I would have to look that up. Mm-hmm. But an order for 500 airplanes plus the 480 that they already have on order, I, mm-hmm. I think they have a couple hundred right now. With with all this 5G stuff that's coming up on July 1st, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal this morning talking about what airplane, what airlines had put in new radio altimeters. And it was mentioning Delta United and, and where their fleets are at. Mm-hmm. It says Delta mainline has 900 airplanes. That, that was a quote from the article. Delta, one of the largest airlines in the world, has 900 mainline airplanes. Mm-hmm. Indigo has more than that on order on that order, are going to yeah. be delivered in the next 12 years. Just, yeah, just put that into perspective of how fast the Indian market is is growing. And we've talked about Air India and Vistara coming together and how there are just so many massive orders coming out of India. It's just crazy to think about that Indigo, within a couple of years, could be the largest airline in the world, at least oh, in terms right.
1: of, of total airplanes. What did we say? 60% of the Indian market, Air India, which every which a house is a household term, right? They fly all over the U.S., all over North America, all over the world. They only have 9% of the Indian domestic market. So are we going to see what we saw with Pan Am? And TWA here, where Indigo starts flying internationally, and they have all this domestic feed that they can send overseas. I I'm pretty sure people in Indigo corporate offices are thinking about that. I know they did lease a triple seven three hundred from Turkish recently, but I could see them launch nonstop flights all over with widebodies, and they may use. I don't know if they ordered an A three hundred and twenty XLR. I don't, that's not their that's not their path right now but they could very easily start with a few international routes they yeah they, to- they could
0: I, I know I know they are a low-cost carrier and, and we talk extensively about does a low-cost long-haul actually work and I think the jury is still out on that one it, yeah. it's hard hard to tell how do I say this <laughs> nicely I don't want them to end up like Norwegian where Nor Norwegian oh, right. They, they got a little bit a little it. bit too far ahead of themselves. They bought a bunch yeah. of 787s. Seven, it didn't work out, and they almost collapsed. And they're just now a shadow of, of their former self. And if right. they had not done that long haul, would they mm-hmm. still be one of those top low-cost carriers in Europe right now? Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know if Indigo wants to get into that realm. And, mm-hmm. and we're seeing JetBlue start to venture into that. Granted, JetBlue isn't ordering wide bodies or anything, but there there are airlines that are slowly starting to, to dip their toes in it. WestJet, up in Canada, they they seem to be doing it pretty
1: successfully. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you mentioned JetBlue, and the similarities are astounding, right? So JetBlue, Indigo is also a shade of blue, I guess. Indigo is all economy. Up until JetBlue had re- mint recently, they were all economy. And I remember sitting in Delhi when I went a few years ago with uh, Chaitin, uh a buddy who want, we want to have on the podcast. We're sitting with these his friends, just you know, Indian. I would say upper middle class. And I asked them, "So, what is your favorite Indian airline?" Is it? And I was expecting Air India, right? Is that, and they were like thinking about it because now they have a lot of choices. And one of them said, "No, you know, my favorite is Indigo." Mm-hmm. And I asked him why, and he said. He likes how democratic it is. They don't really have a frequent flyer program. They don't have first class. They just have a solid product wherever you sit. So I think that, that sounds like JetBlue a lot. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a successful product if they have 60% of the market already and they're ordering 500 planes.
0: We talk about India a lot on this show. It's great to see the growth and, and everything going on there. Well, somewhat overshadowed by Indigo's massive order, several orders by other airlines around the world, including some surprises. This jumped out at me. Qantas is joining the growing list of A220 operators after it placed an order for nine aircraft, which is going to be used as a replacement for the now retiring 717. Philippine Airlines ordered nine A350-1000s, which isn't much of a surprise since we already talked about their big expansion plans. What is a surprise, though, is they're opting for the new configuration that puts an extra seat in economy. In a row of economy, they're moving away from the standard 333 layout in favor of a 343. Oh. I can pause the bullets if you want yeah. to talk about what what you just found.
1: There, At least one low fare carrier, French B, is already flying an A350 with 10 across, and the seat width, Doug, is 16.4 inches. That is less than our 737s, and these are going to be flying long haul, so you could be on a seat that's narrower than a 737 seat for 16, 17 hours. This is where, I mean, if this is where the A350 is going, you know, I thought that was a good product with 333. Um, With 333, they had um, 18-inch seats, which is very respectable. Now they're going to 16.4. And I was going to say the A350 is superior to the 777X, right? Because the seats are wider. Now the 777X, Boeing can tout that as more comfortable because that plane will have 18-inch seats, 343. I don't know if this is a good idea for Airbus, Philippine Airlines, that's the one they bought. And it seems like that is the direction that may become the standard layout for the A350. What are your thoughts? Gross.
0: (laughs) Uh, The problem is the manufacturers of the seats and the manufacturers of the airplanes are offering this to the airlines. And of course, the airlines will always look for a little way to get extra revenue and passengers Unfortunately, passengers don't really know what they're getting into. They, un, un, unless they are listening to this podcast, which are people who actually enjoy looking into seat pitch and width mm-hmm. and cabin experience, 99% of the world's general traveling public, they book on price. They look at whatever the cheapest price is. They don't look at the experience that they're going to get and then a lot of them go to social media afterwards to blast the experience but that uh, that's part of you you get what you pay for customers pay with their wallets if if customers really want that more yeah. comfortable experience then they'll pay for it they'll they'll okay. pay for a a better cabin or something right if people want cheap people want cheap fares airlines yeah. give them cheap fares and the way to get cheap fares is to put more people in the back of the bus unfortunately that's how the economics of aviation work
1: okay but then they they book that because it's the cheapest then they fly it they don't have a good experience and they don't come back this is why people say they won't come back they might come back out of desperation they might come back out of desperation but they so when you're looking back oh my god that seat was so tight the prices are basically going to be very similar across the airlines right they're very competitive now if i can choose between singapore and french b I'm going to choose Singapore if it's a, the price is similar because I remember that experience. A lot of airlines' business is repeat traffic, and what do we say? It's like any business. Eighty percent of our revenue comes from about twenty percent of our customers. These are the return customers. So when you do something like this, yes, you might get that. You might get a lot of bookings from people that don't travel, but they will they come back. It's not for sure. If you are for a good product, they will come back, and that's your bread and butter. True, but
0: if if we're if we're talking about French B, you have a lot of options. If we're talking about Philippine Airlines, you don't have a lot of options uh, aside, like out of Manila. That that's their national carrier. We we've, we've talked about the mm-hmm. pride in the national carriers. Yeah, nonstop nonstops from Manila, Philippine probably offers more than any other airline does. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of another airline in the Philippines to, to begin with, based in the Philippines. But maybe yeah, going to to China or Japan, you've got some of the, the local carriers from those countries that are going to Manila. But for the most part, you want to fly nonstop from Manila to Europe, nonstop from Manila to North America. You're going to have to be on Philippine Airlines because no one else does it. So it doesn't really give you a lot of options unless you're going to connect somewhere.
1: We'll, right. we'll see. So hint, hint to the VPs at our company, fly to Manila because we'll have a better product in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Continuing on with some of these orders, China Airlines placed a follow-up order for eight additional 787s, and several leasing companies placed large orders for 737 Maxes and A330 NEOs. Yet with all the record-breaking aircraft orders over the last several months, a couple prominent executives in the industry are raising alarms. Qatar's All Baker and Air Lease Corporation Stephen Udvar-Hazy are worried that the airlines are growing too quickly. Who has it right? Airlines placing their massive orders, or CEOs of the world's leading lesser, and the CEO of the oh, world's leading airline.
1: Okay. So I'm laughing. Right so I'm laughing because Al Al Akbar, we know how shrewd he is. This is the CEO of Qatar Airways, right? Of course, he's going to say, "Hey, slow down! You're buying too much because that's competition for him."
0: I, I think. Well, I was going to say, I think part of the reason he's saying that is he he feels like the competition coming from the new Saudi airline is not good and they just placed a massive order i think that's part i i think that he, he <laughs> shrouded it he didn't really come out and say that it's all because of Riyadh air mm-hmm. but i i think that that has a little bit to do with his comment at least
1: well also the slow down i mean a lot of his customers are going to the indian subcontinent and in south asia as we speak my mom is in doha Changing planes to go to Sri Lanka. So when he's like, "Whoa, hold up!" So he's seeing Riyadh Air. He's also seeing Air India and Indigo just across the Indian Ocean, buying all these planes. Of course, he's gonna say, "Hey, slow down! This is too much." <laughs> he already has hundreds of planes and a hundred, hundreds of planes on order. They, they're gonna get some competition because the um it's moving, and then there's this new airline, Riyadh Air. Who knows how they'll do? I really don't know. I mean, they don't have a large population. There's also already Emirates, Qatar, Etihad in the Middle East. Air India and Indigo—they have that local market, so they have a lot. They have a lot of opportunity.
0: Yeah, I, I take what Al Baker says with a grain of salt. Usually, mm-hmm. I, I
1: mm-hmm. like
0: what I like what he says because it's entertaining. But a, a lot of his analysis is is just hot air. I feel like mm-hmm. whereas Udvar hazy who runs air Lease corporation, which is the largest mm-hmm. lesser of airplanes in the world. And yeah. he is very much a businessman. Like that is his, his baby, his That's company. True. I take what he says with, with a lot more realism to it. it mm-hmm. if, if you can call it that, like I, I listen to what he says because mm-hmm. he seemed to have gotten it right more than he's gotten it wrong throughout his entire career. If he's yeah. saying that there might, might be this bubble, Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But I kind of look at it too, like Indigo's order is for seven years from now. Like they're, they're not even going to start getting the airplanes for seven years. When right. we're talking about ordering that far in advance, who knows what's going to happen? I, I, Where are we going to, where's the world economy going to be in seven years? No one can tell. So yeah, yeah. Uvar Hazy could be right. He mm-hmm. could be wrong. I, I think that we have to look at it too from like, We're looking at it like it's this huge ordering bubble right now, Mm -hmm. like he said. But think about 2020, 21, and even into part of 22. There were very few orders in total in those Mm -hmm. years. So the the line was flat. And now it's jumped quite a bit. That's more on like the linear growth of Mm -hmm. what we were expecting. It seems like a lot right now, just because airlines are making up for the last couple of years, if that makes sense.
1: yeah, I would. I would even say it's not linear growth, especially in India. It's more like a curve that's accelerating. They reached their domestic passenger volumes. Um, they they had a record like uh, two months ago, and it was four hundred fifty six thousand passengers in India. Right? How much do we have on a regular day? It's upwards of two million in our country. Population wise, yeah. it's smaller. So yeah. So that's not. I mean, I don't think that's. It's beyond, a fraction. It's a fraction, so there's so much growth that can still happen. So I don't necessarily think it's it's too much ordering. And, you know, th- there's all this talk of an R word. All this stuff is great because these keep this keeps the production lines going in Seattle, in Charleston, in Toulouse. This is a shot in the arm right now for all these companies and jobs. It's great, I think. You
0: were talking about the U.S., uh, an article that isn't really in our, our news segment, but we can talk about it right now. I read that TSA screenings last I think it was last Friday, the fifteenth or the sixteenth of June, reached the highest level since pre-COVID. It was like two point almost two point eight million people. Oh wow on on a, a mid summer Friday. Just just a, a midsummer Friday. Mm-hmm. We're back for a single day, that was the highest in the last three plus years, which is awesome to see.
1: Yeah, it really is. And how much is that? That's five times as much as they had in India for the record day. So just to give you mm-hmm. an idea of how much growth they could have. Doug, Boeing does not, back to Al Baker. <laughs> this is just one of these people, right? One of these um, uh, iconic characters. 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 Karsten Spohr, we love him, Lufthansa. Al Baker, who is uh, Barry biffle, very biffle. Just b- kind a of name. <laughs> the <frontier. laughs> yeah, they're like a cast of characters that we constantly talk about. Anyway, all right, Doug. So Boeing doesn't seem to agree with Al Baker or Udvar Haysey. We talked last year about Boeing and Airbus annual 20-year forecast for new airplanes around the globe. This is exactly what we just spoke about. Boeing this week raised its projection from 41,170 planes to a new number, 42,595. Of these, 32,420 are expected to be narrow-body variants of the 737 MAX and A320 NEO family. The demand, Boeing says, is expected to largely be driven by low-cost carriers who are expected to double their current fleet size in the next 20 years. The current global fleet of aircraft consists of roughly 24,500 planes, a number which is expected to double to 48,600 by 2042. 20% of the demand coming from mainland China. Airbus forecast is sizably smaller at 40,850 planes. So yeah, lots of opportunity.
0: What's interesting to me is usually Boeing and Airbus are pretty close with their numbers. And it seems like this year they're diverging a little bit. I don't know if that's just the economies in Europe being different right now than the economies in North America, but Mm -hmm. but either way, both of them, both both Airbus and Boeing have talked about this China number, 20% of total demand coming from one country, from China. I was trying to look, because we've already talked about India, I was trying to look and see if if Boeing or Airbus forecast an actual number for India. Mm -hmm. I'm sure somewhere it's out there, I couldn't find it. I have a feeling that we're going to, as we've talked about, we're exponentially, we're going to start to see that demand year over year from India continue to grow.
1: And it's just going to
0: be, yeah, accelerate. It's going to be crazy to see.
1: Well, and we saw what happened in that train. I mean, the very sad train collision in India. collision, yeah. Yeah. So the, the railroads need a lot of modernization and the roads need a lot of modernization, but air travel... I think we're there in india they're building these magnificent airports in india and china and it's such an efficient way to travel and if they can you know by increasing the um the capacity they can lower the price just like they did in the us and people would rather fly from chennai to mumbai than drive for two days you know
0: yeah or take the overnight train the 36 hour train
1: yeah no thanks We have to do a
0: go-around now on a story that we talked about last week. Spirit Aerosystems proposed contract with its machinists. Remember, this is the company that produces all of the 737 MAX fuselages. 79% of the members of the union representing the machinists voted down the contract on Wednesday, and 85% voted to authorize a strike. Spirit announced it'll halt all production at its Wichita facility beginning with the first shift on Thursday. The union said the company's offer is unacceptable, while well, Spirit said it's disappointed by the outcome and that no one wins in a work stoppage, but it looks forward to continued meetings with the union leadership to reach a deal. Boeing chimed in and they said that 737 and 7 production could yet again stop due to the work stoppage in Wichita.
1: Doug, this is a problem. So we talked about airline strikes and the Railway Labor Act, where the president could order them back to work and eventually Congress could force a contract on them. This is not an airline. So there is no, this strike could happen and it could stop production of the 737 and the 787, which is- Well, it is happening. Disturbing.
0: Yeah, it, it it is happening. It started yesterday. It's, it's right. going on right now.
1: Yeah. So hopefully it'll be resolved quickly. I mean, we were hopeful on last week's episode because it sounded like they're getting a 34% raise and some other benefits on time off and whatnot. But the what did you say? The devil's in the details. The devil's and- in the details. Yeah, yeah. The media not really newsworthy, but,
0: you know. The media always, always goes to the percentage of pay. And I was doing a little reading into this. They were only getting a 16%, an actual 16% raise. Hmm. It was up to 34% with possible benefits and bonuses thrown in. So it wasn't hmm. a guaranteed, and that's over like a four or five year. Right now, inflation is like 6% a year. And, and their contract was over four years, 16% over four years. That doesn't even beat inflation so that that's where the the way that the media sometimes pitches it is oh this is such a great deal so -hmm. that if and when it gets voted down they can be like what what are these people doing like they're they're greedy and just reading some of the comments that that people just don't understand they're like oh you know it's such greed and and everything just like a lot of airlines these workers haven't had raises in several years so they're they're already below what a lot of average workers have had increases year over year. So it really comes down to more than just what is that headline grabbing, attention grabbing headline in the media.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, not to get into a union versus management. I mean, there's, there's, there's arguments on both sides, right? But in the US, it, it's something like the average CEO in the US makes three to 400 times as much as their as an employee in their company. I mean, it's become so skewed in Japan, I think it's like 50 times. And I think, you know, it's a lot different than here. The the JAL CEO goes and stands in line at the cafeteria and has food with their employees. I think we need to get to, uh, we're never going to get to that. <laughs> you know, we're never going to get, as far as pay, it's never going to be as close um, as far as CEO salaries anyway. But, you know, more power to them. And now is, now is the time to strike for pilots, for rampers, for flight attendants, for machinists, it's time to get some piece of that pie, and I don't fault them, and they'll they'll work it out, I'm sure. But in the meantime, you know, this is what we have to deal with. We might have more delays on the on the planes, and airlines will be upset because they can't they can't run their schedules that they want to run with all these additional flights. But maybe it'll work out, Doug. Maybe there will be a softening of the economy, and we don't need the planes that fast. Sometimes it just works out.
0: It'll be the Airbus forecast instead of the Boeing forecast, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> well, you're talking about the Airbus forecast. I mean, am I reading this right? The Airbus forecast is forty thousand. The Boeing forecast is forty two thousand. Well, not, that
0: I, I'm, I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm not really sure if that if that Airbus forecast is mm-hmm. the is compared to the forty eight thousand new airplanes the Boeing mm-hmm. has said. Because there are two numbers that that's where mm-hmm. it's confusing. Boeing has both 42, and 48,000. So I'm I'm not sure if the Airbus 40,000 is compared to the first Boeing number or the second.
1: Yeah. Who knows? All right. We're going to come back to Boeing um, and a new product, some new thinking finally, which I'm really excited about. Let's quickly step away from aviation altogether for our last news story. Though we're covering this because there is an actual aviation angle. Can I just mention that? So, you know, we were at this... Birthday party on the Eastern Shore. I was talking to these people that I didn't know in different industries. One was uh, a a sailboat captain, right? And one was, uh, I drove a Model T for the first time, you know, which I'm regaling you about all last week. There is a connection to aviation in everything. (laughs) And then, you know, I hear Robbie, it's like, does Andrew know these people? He's like, no, he's building bridges with aviation. (laughs) Literally All right. So back to the story. Sad story, Doug. A five-person submersible on a dive to explore the wreck of the Titanic went missing this week shortly after beginning its eight-hour journey. It was operated by a tour operator called Ocean Gate Expeditions, which conducts underwater scientific research as well as tourism dives such as this one, where the four passengers uh, reportedly paid $250,000 each for a seat on the craft. So after a five-day search, the U.S. Coast Guard found wreckage Thursday on the seafloor near the Titanic, and it was confirmed to be from the Titan, which was the, uh, the vessel operated by Ocean Gate, and was confirmed to be from the Titan after it experienced what is being called a catastrophic implosion. One of the five people on board was a man named George Harding, a British, a British aviator and explorer. In 2019, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing, Harding, along with two other pilots, set the world record for the fastest circumnavigation of the Earth over both poles, so the North and South Pole. They were flying a Gulfstream 650ER. The three pilots made just three stops in their 46-hour, 40-minute, 24,000-mile trek.
0: That's awesome. I remember reading about that at the time and and following it. I think it was all over Twitter and social media and, and some other media were covering it. Three stops, 46 hours, all in a G6550. That's mm-hmm. pretty crazy, both North and South Pole. I think they stopped, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was Chile, somewhere in Europe, and then maybe mm-hmm. Alaska, I think, okay. and, then, and then back to their final, or where, where they took off from. It's yeah. pretty, it, It's pretty neat, and it's, it's sad that, that this happened, but as we talked about, there's almost always some sort of an aviation angle to what? everything.
1: Well, yeah. And, you know, it is sad what happened. But in aviation, it's not without risks, right? Especially for these people that want to be the first or the the one to go, you know, to do these, these record-breaking trips or these, you know, to go see the Titanic. I believe that's 13,000 feet below the surface, you know, in the water. So there's an aviation angle and there's also a commercial aviation angle. <laughs> so this was a uh, Gulfstream 650 ER 2019, right? Before that, the, the last record for the circumnavigation um around the poles was also a uh, corporate jet it was a bombardier global express before that for 31 years you know who had the the record for it i do
0: because you sent it to me but i i didn't i didn't know that beforehand
1: yeah for 31 years the boeing 747sp was the the leader in this so in 1977 pan am flight 50 um it was like 50 cuz it was their 50th anniversary They set a speed record for a polar circumnavigation, 54 hours, 7 minutes and 12 seconds. This was, you and I would have loved to have been on this flight. I think it costs like $2,000. I don't know how much that is in today's dollars, but it flew from SPO, from your airport, from San Francisco to London, over the pole to uh, New Zealand, and then back up to San Francisco. And uh, it was like glitz and glamour. This is the 1970s. So they had on the flight Miss Universe, Miss USA. They got to <laughs> London. They picked up Miss UK. They got to... There a, uh,
0: did, did they still have the piano bar on board? I, I just <laughs> I picture some <laughs> someone tic- tickling the ivories.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is a huge tangent. But what we can talk about now that you've opened this, you know, circumnavigation issue, there was a United... Oh, back to this Pan Am Flight 50, 747SP. Uh, this was in 1977. Not only did they break the record, this was great for Boeing because they were able to promote the 747SP, which has which just launched the year before to show the airlines how this can go farther. Range. And
0: yeah. Range. Farther and faster.
1: Yeah. And the seating was similar to an L-11 or a DC-10, so it was also competing for that uh, smaller wide body. This is pole to pole, but circumnavigation going East is the fastest, right? Cause you, you go with the trade the wind. wind, the jet stream. Mm-hmm. And from what I can find, it was a United 747 SP. They named it friendship one. And we will have a go around on this on the next episode. Cause um, we got to research it. It's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. We can come back to it next week. Drew, a couple
0: topics that have come up in Paris this week are two things that we've talked about rather extensively on this show, the boom supersonic and the Boeing transonic trust braced wing the ttbw <laughs> concept tough. aircraft it is it, it's eventually going to be the 797 so that's easy let's quickly cover what's up with boom before moving on to the ttbw
1: i keep wanting to say the tttbd because it's to be determined if this thing works <laughs> at all. transonic trust uh, what um blended wing transonic trust Braced Wing. Braced Wing. All right. Got it. Yeah. Because it.
0: it we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. it yeah. I explain a little bit later why it's called the TTBW. Or All right. Yeah. TTB. We're dig
1: <laughs> we'll dig into it. Boom Supersonic is featured at the show live with its 3D printed one third scale model of its Symphony engine. We won't get into too many details about Boom since we talk about it frequen- frequently, Doug. Rather, we'll discuss some of the exciting developments. Boom announced several updates, including releasing information on what industry suppliers have been contracted to produce parts for the aircraft. Interestingly, Boom and its engine supplier, Florida Turbine Technologies, claim that it will offer a cost savings of up to, listen to this, 10%, 10% over today's aircraft, subsonic aircraft. Flying supersonic will be 10% more efficient. All right, if this ends up being true, this could actually be a game changer. Yeah, I, I was amazed when I read that flying supersonic
0: 10% more efficient. Granted, it's not going to be carrying as many people. So I don't know if that's like on a per mile per seat basis, not really sure what, what the metrics are. That's crazy. The, the 10% we'll see if it ends up getting there. I think the, the bigger news to come from this though, is there are a lot of leaving, leading aviation firms in the world who are now working mm-hmm. with boom. And yes. a, a lot of, a lot of people are, mm-hmm. are saying that it's just smoke and mirrors right now that the, like the the boom is actually not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe it won't. But the fact that there are a bunch of leading suppliers who are on board with it and actually pressing ahead and, and helping to make it happen, yeah. I am more optimistic. I, I've always been optimistic on the boom. I'm more optimistic now than I've ever been. Now that I'm starting to see these pieces actually come together.
1: Well, yeah, and off the top of my head. I can't remember the names of the manufacturers, but they're in Spain and Italy. And looking at some of the names, these people, they make parts for the 787. These are This is not some ragtag startup. startup. No, these are people that actually make parts for planes already, and they've signed on with this. So they believe in it. But you know what's more shocking? So this Florida Turbine Engines, working with two or three other companies, used to be that the air, the manufacturer makes the airplane, and then they leave the engine making to Rolls Royce to General Electric. All these people have left boom. <laughs> they dropped out Rolls-Royce, dropped out Rolls-Royce had a contract with them and they left. So that left boom having to cre- to make their own engine. What an ambitious program and the CEO is saying they still expect to have FAA certification by 2029. That's going to be very ambitious but we're very hopeful and we're watching the story so that's pretty cool.
0: The second new idea that's making headlines in Paris is Boeing's TTBW. Air, let's just call it the seven eight, <laughs> the, the seven nine seven. Is Boeing's eventual <laughs> seven nine seven, which we mentioned a year or so ago, as a concept that looks like a mashup of a glider with a massive wingspan <laughs> and the fuselage of today's aircraft. And it has a lift-producing truss support for the high-wing design. That's where they they get the truss name in it. Mm-hmm. Think of Think of a, a high wing airplane like a cessna 172 where the, the wing is up top yeah. very long like a glider a huge wingspan compared to the length of the airplane and it's supported by this this truss again think a cessna 172 where it's, it's got the support underneath it but mm-hmm. that truss is a, a lift device that actually helps the airplane fly and it, it as you are going to talk about here it, it's going to help with efficiencies every generation of new airplane Needs to have some sort of efficiency gain.
1: Basically, what you're telling me is the the future is a DC nine biplane, possibly with props. That's the future. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean that's what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, this design is in collaboration between NASA, Boeing, and the U.S. Air Force. And Doug, I cannot remember the number, but the U.S. government uh, with NASA, they are contributing like $400 million towards this project.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like $450 million, something. It's
1: basically subsidized. And why would Boeing not take advantage of all this government technology to help them create their new airplane? It's amazing. So it's in collaboration between NASA, Boeing, and the US Air Force. Pratt & Whitney was selected as the engine manufacturer of the Air Force X-66, which is what the demonstrator is being called. Boeing hopes that the TTBW will be what CEO David Calhoun calls, quote, a generational leap in technology, which is what the company is aiming to achieve before it launches a new variant, likely to eventually become the 797. According to the Seattle Times, the X-66's
0: first flight is estimated for 2028. Their aerodynamic truss will allow the aircraft to have thinner wings, thus reducing drag and creating a 10% fuel efficiency. Does that sound familiar? We just talked about Boone's 10% efficiency. It seems like it's it's the buzzword. Like every new technology, when we talked about the A two twenty, the A three twenty neo, it's twenty percent this, twenty
1: percent that. But can no. I stop you? It's usually like the expectation is a next a new generation plane has twenty percent better fuel efficiency because that the set that was what the 787 had over the seven six seven. This is only ten percent, so it's getting harder to. Uh, I, I think that's it we're,
0: we're getting to a point where you you can't constantly have 20% gains it's right. it, the, the number is going to eventually I think going to have to go down. but if you think about and this is getting really nerdy in math and I'm sure Aaron will call me out on it mm-hmm. but a, a 10% gain here mm-hmm. is still ultimately going to be more than mm-hmm. a 20% gain 30 years ago like oh. in in total, Fuel savings. If you think about it, oh, because, because it, of the volume, yeah. Because if you're constantly going 20 percent, twenty percent, that that twenty percent, the number is actually growing, even though that the percentage is the same. Right. The actual efficiencies that you gain is starting to grow exponentially because twenty percent on top of twenty percent oh, on right. each twenty percent is a little bit bigger. So ten percent now mm-hmm. is still better than the efficiencies that we gained back in the like 70s to 80s going from say a DC10 to a right. uh, 767 or something like that.
1: Right. No, I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That rose- that might be a
0: little bit much might of- be a little bit of a stretch and I'm sure Aaron <laughs> or other mathematicians will call me out. Anyways, th- this is this is crazy here. It's going to use a modified MD90 fuselage capable of seating 154 passengers in a two class cabin. It's going to be made from composite materials like the seven eight seven and the A three fifty, thus reducing weight and strengthening the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Now, GE is also working on a new open fan engine that could possibly power the commercial variant of the X sixty six. The open fan engine resembles a turboprop engine, and it's expected to burn. Here's here's that twenty percent. Expected to burn twenty percent less than the current Mm -hmm. generation engines. Although Boeing Commercial CEO Stan Deal openly said in Paris he doubts a new engine would meet that target
1: mm-hmm. that made the target date right for it to be ready by 20 no that
0: 20 that 20 percent.
1: oh got it yeah
0: he, he he came out and he said that when you have an engine that is not on an airplane it's easier to get a 20 percent increase but when you actually put it on the airplane and you're dealing with drag you're dealing with weight the number is is probably going to be lower
1: yeah well, you know, for those of uh, you out there that love the DC-9 or the MD-80, there's hope because you could have this thing pulling into the gate. And before you see the the truss brace wing, you're going to think it's an MD-80. <laughs> I really hope they keep that fuselage because it's 3-2, which is 3-2. better than 3-3. What are your concerns with this? So my concern is it, it's 171 feet wingspan. And as an airport operations, airport ops manager, this will not work. A that's, a, that's a
0: wide body wingspan.
1: Yeah, it's a close to a wide body. It's like a 767 wingspan. The um, 737, which this would replace, has a wingspan of 117 feet. So we need something that would fit in that in a similar gate envelope.
0: Yeah. So the wings were
1: folded. Yeah,
0: I was gonna say here's why I'm not concerned about it because Boeing is working on that technology with the triple seven X. They mm-hmm. they already have the folding wings that then lock out before flight. Yeah. It, to, to me, it won't be all that hard to, to, well, I, I'm not an engineer, but mm-hmm. to, to, to think about it, to be able to fold the wings. The only issue that we're running into is you're going to have to cut that down by 50 feet. Yeah. Are there airports with overhangs? I, I'm thinking like Dallas. I was mm-hmm. just there the other day where the air train goes out over some of the airplanes. Yeah are they going to have 30, 25 feet of clearance? Because if you have to cut 171 oh, feet down to, would you say 117? 117,
1: 117. I, I mean, you're, you're
0: talking about almost, almost 25 feet in the air is what those wings are going to have to bend to.
1: Mm-hmm. Is
0: that going to work at certain airports? If there's overhangs or, or different things, Boeing has a lot that they're going to have to work through. Again, this is just a concept. Maybe, maybe this is the future. Maybe it's not. We'll see. But this could be that, that, Technological leap that Boeing is looking for,
1: but is it such a leap though? The wings are definitely a leap, but the fuselage you're telling me is base is an MD90. It's basically an MD90. The engines are Pratt and two Pratt and Whitney 1000G series turbofans, which are already flying on the A320neo. That's already done. The fuselage is already done. <laughs> so you're going to slap this new wing on it. I, I really think that you know. So they're saying. For the next big milestone, Boeing will convert an old MD-90. So it'll be a full-scale version, and it aims to fly in 2028. I think that is very realistic. It is 2023, so that's five years. This is more realistic than the boom, even though the boom is sexier. A DC-9 biplane with props could actually happen, I think. And I know
0: we talked about this almost two years ago, I want to say. Maybe Mm -hmm. 2021, somewhere around there. This isn't new, per se. Boeing and NASA have already been working on it. So to say that five years from now, it could be flying usually the the entry or the the timing from initial design to first flight is around Uh six or seven years. So yeah, I I believe that by 2028, we could possibly be seeing this thing flying.
1: Yeah. And if you're a passenger, there's really no huge advantages. It's going to fly at the same speeds. The advantage is going to be the efficiency because we want to be Closer to net zero by 2050. Let's move to our op Center conversation. Doug, I'm excited about this. So our op Center this week centers on a topic that has been in the news quite frequently of late, missed approaches. We're not discussing the topic to make fun of people that are genuinely afraid of flying, but rather let's educate the listeners on what is a common maneuver and the reason for it, Doug.
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, Drew, these maneuvers have been in the news a lot lately, including an opinion piece in the San Francisco Chronicle where the columnist who, by the way, is a food critic, wrote Mm -hmm. about her, quote, terrifying experience during a recent missed approach. Another recent missed approach or go around, as they're also called at San Francisco, had one area news outlet interview a passenger who then compared it to being in a fighter jet. My flight from Sacramento to San Francisco the other day had a missed approach. That happens. Mm -hmm. That's what got me thinking about this topic. I'm not afraid to fly. It wasn't a violent maneuver at all. Like I, okay. I could tell that we were going missed. I felt the engine spool up. I felt mm-hmm. me go back in the seat. We started to climb away. Yeah, I got an awesome view of LAX. I think I sent <laughs> it to you guys. That, that's oh. what I was looking at. But then it, in the same token, it cut down on about 15 minutes of club time. It's kind of a, <sighs> a give or, give or a take. take. But I, I, I sent you guys a message. I, I think I said something like, just did a go around. It wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Granted, I, I'm a pilot. I know that. Mm-hmm. Go arounds, missed approaches. Why do we do them? Number one reason, if we're unstable, if you are mm-hmm. on approach and your airspeed is low or high or you're low or you're high on the approach, instead of mm-hmm. trying to make a bad approach into a good one,
1: yeah.
0: start over. Go around. We we always say go arounds are free. Yeah. Of course, I use a little bit of fuel, extra fuel and time. Take yourself out of a bad situation and just mm-hmm. reset up and try it again. That's the number one reason why we do them. Mm-hmm. Another reason, spacing. Maybe the airplane, maybe ATC vectored you a little bit too tight and there, right. there was another airplane on the runway that wasn't clear yet. Lots of reasons for, for spacing issues. 7-3, I had it once because we were we were just too fast. We couldn't slow anymore. Oh. And, and we ate up that ATC spacing that kept telling us slow to slow as practical. We're like, we are, <laughs> we're there. We're we're as slow as we can go. We can't slow down anymore wait so what is
1: slow as you can go around around what is that like 140 150
0: on the 73 it was like mm-hmm. 160 something because no. the 73 is right. is a lot faster on the triple mm-hmm. it's down to yeah in the 130s 140s somewhere yeah. around there i've gone around so many times in my life in fact uh, i'd saved this for the show i, I didn't mm-hmm. text this to you i hold the record at our training unit in the kc10 Mm-hmm. For my students having the most number of go-arounds on a single flight, how many do you think it is?
1: Well, first of all, does this mean that you're a bad trainer because they can't land and they constantly have to go around? People have asked me that. No, <laughs>
0: I, I was doing everything that I could, including including demonstrating, like, uh-huh. hey, follow me on the controls on this one. I'm going to show you what it looks like. Now it's your turn. It was their first ever flight on a KC-10. Okay, how so many- you me
1: the, the most go-arounds on a single flight?
0: yeah how how many how many do you think i had or my oh. my students had
1: Four. <laughs>
0: Ten. in ten. <laughs> <laughs> a dc ten oh. ten go arounds and well,
1: it, wasn't, I will tell it, you. it
0: wasn't for lack of trying i was trying everything to help this student land
1: right so yeah you were it was bittersweet because you know the avgeeks love the go around because now we get another approach my favorite go around was landing at uh tokyo's with my buddy neil and it was 747-400 Malaysia Airlines. We did a go around. Everyone else like, ah, oh, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> it's completely <laughs> opposite reactions. But don't you now for the go around, for the procedure, you have that toga button, right? That kind of sets mm-hmm. everything for you. I mean, can you do you press that button and you monitor everything to make sure everything's happening as it should? Well, it depends. If if your automation
0: is off, which a lot of times low go arounds are, but you've already clicked the autopilot and the auto throttles off. Mm-hmm. All hitting the all hitting the toga button. Well, some airplanes. Some airplanes hitting the toga button. All it does is it cycles your navigation to the next point. You still okay. have to physically push the power in and then lift the nose with the yoke because you're hand flying at this point. If,
1: okay. you, have
0: automa- if you have automation on, still, if, if you have the autopilot and the auto throttles on, and you push mm-hmm. the toga. Toga stands for takeoff go around for the listeners. Yep. If you push the toga button with automation on, it'll do everything. It will automatically push the the throttles or the thrust levers up, it'll lift the nose and it'll start to climb away. You then turn it into basically a a takeoff again. Mm -hmm. You get the gear up, you get the flaps up, go back around, level off somewhere, fly the published missed approach, which Mm -hmm. most every approach that we fly has a published missed approach that's part of our briefing. Every single time Mm -hmm. I land an airplane, we brief we we physically we, we brief what we are physically going to do in the mm-hmm. event of a go-around, basically chair fly it, uh-huh. talk through it because we are expecting it. We are expecting a go-around to the point where if we don't have it, then it's good. But we are always expecting it so we know what we're going to do with the airplane. Yeah. We know what the navigational, what ATC is expecting us to do on the go-around. Now, on the, the triple and the 46, both, if the auto throttles are off, and I'm I'm hand adjusting the, the throttles or thrust levers on final and I hit toga, the auto throttles are, will re-engage. I, I don't have to turn them back on oh, because the they're basically already on. They're they're in like a, a wake up mode. Think of it that way, where okay. they're I'm I'm controlling the throttles, but they are ready for me to push toga and once I do, it'll it'll engage and it kicks in. I'm still hand flying with the yoke, but the airplane is taking the, the throttles at that yeah. point.
1: So how often is that engaged or how often is automation on so that you will hand fly it, but not throttles?
0: Well, it, it, I, it really just depends on the stage of the missed approach. I've had missed approaches where we were at like 3000 feet, Mm 4,000 feet and ATC told us to, to discontinue the approach. Automation might be on at that point, might not, it really just depends. Usually missed approaches are done relatively low to the ground within Mm -hmm. a thousand feet of yeah. altitude, 1,000 a a thousand feet and lower above the airfield because you're unstable. Like if you're unstable outside of 1,000 feet, you are legally allowed to continue. You, you can try and correct whatever deficiency that you have inside 1,000 feet, and especially by 500 feet. You need to be on altitude, on airspeed. You need to be on glide slope. You need to be in slot, we call it. Perfect ready to land mm-hmm. if you're outside of a set parameter yeah certain airspeed certain deviations it's it's a missed approach at that point just come back around try it again reset up for it but for the passengers even even listeners i'm sure there's some listeners who love aviation but are still afraid of flying yeah i, I it can be a jarring feeling when you do have a, a missed approach when you're not expecting it but just understand it is completely normal you are you are fine. You are safe. You are in good hands. You don't need to be afraid of a missed approach. And luckily, most of the comments that we were reading on some of those articles, it's people saying, "Okay, nothing to see here. This is normal. It's it's safe. It's actually probably good that that mm-hmm. happened." go back to writing about food.
1: <laughs> well, I, I would I would remind this uh, Chronicle columnist who had a terrifying experience. I would ask her to be more concerned about her ride home on the 101 from SFO to San Francisco, because that can be a yeah. terrifying experience.
0: Drew, before we wrap up, you learned of a new loyal listener this week?
1: Yeah, Doug. So shout out to Trey in Jacksonville, Florida, who I met uh, at the TWA Hotel a while back. I was there with Nate. We were doing a av geek trip and of course we stayed at the TW hotel and you know we were just talking to people and he was in the the lounge. Turns out to be a didn't work in the industry but he's just he's a huge av geek. So we were talking to him for hours. So he writes Hey, Drew, this is Trey from the TWA Hotel a couple years ago. I listen to y'all's podcast every single Monday. (laughs) And he's wondering how he can get a T-shirt. But this is someone who I met two years ago. He's been listening every Monday. Thank you, Trey. Don't just listen. Thanks, Trey. Call in. We'll, We'll give you more information how you can call in to the show. We will air your voice. So you can literally be part of the Next Trip podcast. So he says, also, I am on a Boeing hangar project at the Cecil Field Airport here in Jacksonville. I thought you guys would find it pretty sweet. It will be used for maintenance for the Boeing P-8 Poseidons and the F 18s He said, I get to watch KC-46s, which is your new airplane, Doug, and KC-10s. Well, not for long. And P-3s do patterns and touch and goes all day. I'm in heaven. I'd be in heaven too. How could you work? Yeah, <laughs> have to I, I can't.
0: How how can you work at that point? Thanks for listening, Trey. I hear you there. But what was that video that I sent you yesterday, Drew? I was working on the rundown for the show and a C five mm-hmm. flew over. And of course, e- even though I see it all day, every day, because I land yeah. or I, I land I live <laughs> under the landing pattern for Travis Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. I just set my computer down, get up and get a video for you guys. I,
1: so it never gets that- old. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know that just brought back, that sound brought back memories because I'd be in my bedroom in Fairfield, California, which is close to where Travis Air Force Base is. Most people would hate it. Like Francis in Albany would go crazy. (laughs) This is at like 1, 2 a.m. I would hear that sound, that drone of those engines. And that was the C5 doing practices, landings, whatever. Didn't bother me at all. It probably helped me sleep better. It, It was great. So thank you for bringing back that memory. (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely
0: well to our listeners this podcast is your show so go on our website nexttripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback you can also follow us on twitter or instagram at Next Trip podcast please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel
1: and as i said we have a google voice number now so call in leave your comment and we will play it. well if it's acceptable as long as we can keep this a family show <laughs> We will air it on the show, and you can listen to your own voice, and you can be part of the Next Trip Podcast. Uh, The number for that Google voice is uh, 872-529-5620 when calling from the U.S. Make sure to use the country code 001 or plus one when calling from abroad. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip
0: Podcast.